Hey, welcome back to The Urban Monk. Dr. Pedram Shojai here after a month in Italy, really enjoying, uh, you know, a little bit slower of a roll, having uh, spent some time relaxing. It's like, wow, this should be a new habit. And uh, it's been good. Um, only taking on shows that I really care deeply about, only taking on things that I care to do. Uh, and today's subject is something near and dear to my heart, so near and dear that I'm about to uh, spend my entire summer on the road interviewing for a new docu-series we're doing on the subject. So this is a big deal to me. This is important stuff, important enough to take some time away from the family because this story is big. Uh, it's about the microbiome. It's about the life around us, inside of us, and the life that's kind of calling the shots if uh, we're not paying attention uh, in our health and our genetic expression and all that good stuff. Uh, my guest today is Eugenia Bone, who is the author of a new book called Microbia, and she's a journalist who's been following this story. So um, probably like myself and Carl and people on my team, at the very beginning of the story, her head was spinning because there's a lot to it, and uh, we're looking to uh, kind of bring it down to earth and make that um, useful for my listeners today. So, Eugenia, welcome to The Urban Monk. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on. So, what got you into this subject matter? Like, what pulled you into the, this huge kind of rabbit hole of inquiry? Well, you know how um, you always remember where you were when some big news hit, like uh, John Lennon died, for example, or the World Trade Center? Well, I remember um, very strongly when I first learned from this guy named Rusty Rodriguez. Uh, he has a, he's the co-founder of a uh, company called Adaptive Symbiotic Technologies. And Rusty was describing endophytes, endophytic fungi. These are fungi that live between the cells of all plants. They're necessary to plants, but they, not, but they aren't plants. They're fungi. And then at the same time, the human gut microbiome news was going mainstream, and it was the same paradigm. The bacteria are necessary to us, but um, not, uh, but they're not us. So I started to get really, you know, fascinated with this idea that individual organisms, plants, and people are collaborations. Um, you know, I've been operating my whole life under this. And this assumption that I'm kind of independently operating in the world, and the idea that we are um, that we're like a, a conglomeration of organisms really blew that notion out of uh, out of the water for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just became I just wanted to know more. You know, I I went on the on a personal study of uh, microbiology to understand you know how we are them and. And they are us. It's really mystical if you think about it. I mean, it is it is a very heavy concept because in the West, we kind of broke off and we became very independent uh, from uh, kind of a traditional world, which was much more interdependent, right? Um, and so as you become more and more independent, that, that kind of ideology starts to infiltrate the medicine, um, the life sciences and everything. Uh, and this news, I mean, it is revolutionary because the, the interdependence of species and microbes and, and, and fungi and all these wonderful things that lead up to, you know, this, this pinnacle we call us, um, which, you know, can be debated whether what, what that okay. even is anymore, um, is, is really come into question. And, um, it's such a big question that I think uh, most people miss it. Um, 
because no one has time to think. So you you jumped into this and um, you really saw this as the new frontier in human health, um, also agriculture, environmental science, I mean, all these things. And so what what is the importance of this that you really started to kind of unearth, um, you know, if you will, and and that drove you further into the, the research in the book? Um, ultimately, it's that the the unspe- the unseen sphere of life heavily influences um, the seen sphere. So, you know, going through life um, thinking that every uh, charismatic organism that we see, ourselves, plants, fungi, is um, unattached to the re- to their environment, that they're somehow um, independently able. Uh, was um, that's a paradigm that well, first of all, that's not the case, right? Everything is actually very connected, depending on how deep you look at it. Um, and the paradigm of nature seems to be more about connection than about um, independent actors. Mm. So there's this part of the story that that gets me, which is really to me kind of the the crux of almost this miracle of life um, narrative that's being kind of observed in in you know microscopes now, where it's that dynamic interplay between inorganic and organic, uh, you know, soil minerals and you know the this kind of inert stuff that we would say is in the dirt, and then this thing that creates this thing called life, which you know it's got us here speaking on technology that our brains create, you know, you know, our brains created over thousands of years. So let's go back to that that kind of original point there in the soil and talk about that kind of interaction of the different species to make life happen. Because I think that's a good story. Um, it is amazing. I mean, the soil is living and dying microbes on a matrix of mineral. Um, soil without microbes is dirt. Uh, and the fertility of soil is predicated on the microbial, how long, what the, how long the microbes have been living there and dying there and and sequestering the nutrients that go on to um, support plant life. But, you know, you can even go a little bit deeper um, and think that microbes, and we're talking about right, talking about right now um, bacteria and their sister organism, archaea, that they actually bridge the non-living and living spheres of life. They're at the bottom of the food chain. They capture nutrients from gases and minerals, inorganic sources, non-living sources, and they terrestrialize those nutrients in their own cells. I mean, they're only one cell big, which is like the smallest unit of life, right? Um, But once they've captured those nutrients into a life form, theirs, then they they become food for subsequent critters. (laughs) So... The real start of the food chain is when these organisms make food. <laughs> you could say they invented food. And soil yeah. is just a kind of pl- is a place where this is happening. You know, it's interesting as I deal with a lot of these um new soil thinkers, uh, people that have already kind of proven that, you know, soil is one of the best places to sequester carbon. And, you know, if you want to fix the planet's problems, just 
do organic kind of uh, biodynamic farming and just keep putting putting uh, carbon back in the soil. Um, and it turns out that that's also, you know, good for our bodies and good for our bacteria and all that. And so there's this real renaissance happening around this cycle from, you know, not dirt, but soil to, you know, healthy bacteria, healthy food in our bodies, and then the healthy expression of our health. Um, how long did it take you to kind of start seeing that, that big kind of, um, macro trend or that bigger cycle as you started looking at all these kind of disparate parts of this stuff? Well, I had to go back to school because I, you know, I was really fascinated with the subject, but um, I had limitations. I mean, I, I was an English major in the Reagan era. So I had to get some bio chops and sort of get up to speed a little bit. Um, but in the pro, but so the difficulty of going back to school in middle age is that you know it's the 21st century. A lot of things has changed, but the benefit was that I had enough experience to start seeing paradigms being played out, like patterns over and over again. So, uh, and that was the challenge of the book was um, was to try to sh- to show those repeating patterns, whether you're talking about soil or plants or animals and meaning us. Um, and certain things just, you, you know, I had the, I had the, I guess, maturity to, um, to notice those things um, and the inclination to, to really focus on them. So an example, I mean, obvious, a really obvious big example would be the soil microbiome affects the plant microbiome affects the animal by microbiome. It's the, the nutrients and the, the, the nutrients and the ability to utilize those nutrients passes up the food chain. So that's one, you know, overview kind of approach. Then on a even smaller, uh, but still quite grand level, um, humans get their initial microbiome much the same way as seeds do from mom or from a mature plant. And then those, that Initial microbiome sets up certain conditions, which are then replaced by a mature microbiome, which is acquired similarly, whether you're a three-year-old or a, a seedling. It's very, it's amazing. It's, nature is consistent. <laughs> yeah, she certainly is. And and she's persistent. I mean, <laughs> man, this, th- this thing has been going for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, we had the hubris of thinking we had figured it out. Um, and now that we're, you know, looking deeper, um, I mean, I, I'm just going off and doing this docu-series, I think we already have like 39 people out of like 50 something world experts on this subject and they just keep coming out of the woodworks because yeah. there is so much research being done. I mean, whether it's, you know, in the fecal transplants and the, the treatment of C. diff or, um, you know, people with, uh, you know, chronic pain or, or anxiety. I mean, what, there are so many different types of conditions that we are getting reports back from doctors saying, you know what, fixing the microbiome helped this. I mean, were you surprised as hell when you saw that? Oh my God. That was, it was um, really at times I was like, what am I, what the hell am I trying to do here? Because there's, it's like this massive nature, the unseen world's like this massive jigsaw puzzle. And every day, these headlines are coming out as scientists discover one more piece and another piece and another piece. And, you know, the frustration of not being able to see it in a holistic way um, is, well, it was motivating for me just because, you know, I was dying to have some kind of operating principles, you know, to navigate this 
flood of miscellaneous in, uh, information that I was either you know, reading on scholarly, um, in scholarly journals or just headlines in the paper. Um, it's uh, uh, the basic principles are, in a way, the um, only thing that uh, I think a, a non-scientist can really take away um, at this point in time because the information is a, an absolute flood, but it's disparate, you know, it's like a lot of little pieces. I've been subjected to a lot of bullshit. Um, you know, it seems like there's a probiotic, you know, you know, expo pen coming out. There's a probiotic, you know, a pair of shoes. I mean, everyone's trying to slap the word probiotic onto yeah. things like, you know, nail salons were calling themselves wellness, you know, centers uh -huh. back, you know, a decade ago. Um, I'm sure you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so how much of the stuff that we see out there is legitimate versus just the kind of market-driven bullshit that, that, you know, envelops anything that comes out that's good? You know, it's just kind of a crapshoot because the, um, the problem with, so probiotics are living bacteria, right? Living organisms that can be fungi too, that you ingest in order to um, in order to beef up your resident populations of bacteria or to um, increase your transient populations because, you know, both types of lifestyles exist in us and affect our health. So the, the problem is, you know, there's, there's, hard, there's very little way of knowing uh, when you purchase like a probiotic yogurt or a probiotic skin cream you know, what's in there, what's alive, what's dead, what's really um, doing it, making an, an, a, you know, making an impact on you, what do you actually need, in what numbers, because gut, the, the gut microbiome is all about population ecology. It's not about good bacteria, bad bacteria, but how many do you have um, where they should be? <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, you know, there's definitely probiotics are effectively used in some clinical situations. Um, uh, and, and, and that's, you know, so they're, they're not a complete travesty. Um, but it just seems to me that until there's some, you know, better way of measuring, you know, what you need on the receiver end and what you can get on the producer end, um, mm. that the best thing, like what I do, for my life is I just fold fermented foods into my um, diet that I make myself, homemade yogurt, homemade sauerkraut. Um, and because I know it's alive and I know it's, um, you know, it, it's a part of my diet. And then I try to eat the foods that feed my resident bacteria that produce all these helpful things like hormones and neurotransmitters and, and protect my colon wall health. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and it's, really and it's an it, well, that's it. And it's an ecology. If you eat right, you go hiking, you do the things that you're supposed to be doing anyways. Yeah, usually you're you're kind of ahead of it. I mean, I'll take probiotics, you know, here and there just to kind of replenish, especially if I've you know shifted my diet and stuff like that. Um, but you know, again, everything is so treatment oriented instead of lifestyle yeah. oriented in our in our medical paradigm that it's like, okay, so what do I take now? It's like, no, you take a step yeah. back and you look at your life. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You change it. It doesn't yeah. work that way. I mean, I think the, the real, you know, takeaway for me um, from doing this research is that our bodies are environments 
and the for a whole bunch of organisms and the environment selects. So what you feed is what succeeds <laughs> in your body and what you don't feed is what fails. Those population you if you eat a lot of hamburgers then your fiber fermenting populations are going to go down. I mean it's really some basic ecology. And in fact all I don't know if all but you know, from what I can tell, a lot of the rules of ecology actually apply to your gut. And so, you know, if you treated, if you managed yourself more like a park, <laughs> then you might have better yeah. luck anticipating what you need to do to maintain best, to maintain wellness. Hmm. Reminds me of that story of the, um, I think it was Yellowstone where they reintroduced the wolves. You're so um, right. You're so right. Yeah. Right. And do you, I mean, you probably know the story better than I do. Oh, if not, I'm just going to butcher it. Um, <laughs> I won't call you out on it. It's basically oh, they reintroduced. Yeah. Oh, you know the story. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so you I heard it. Yeah. It I learned it in bio yeah. class. It was like, a, you know, it was the first, um, the, you know, the first thing in the first lecture when we were studying eco the uh, ecology section in biology class um, that they told this story. And so what happened is um, the wolves in Yellowstone Park were harassing the sheep of neighboring ranches, uh, uh, ranchers, and the ranchers got pissed off and they asked the Yellowstone Park um, to get rid of the wolves, which they did. When the wolves were gone, the deer populations exploded. They hung around the banks of the streams where they uh, mucked up the, the banks and they ate all the willows. And then the beaver didn't have any willows to make beaver dams. And then the, without beaver dams, there was no ponds for ducks to, to um, settle in and, you know, cascading event, right? It just went on down from there. So then the park rangers put the wolves back into the park. The deer populations decreased because they were being predated and they also stayed on the move because the wolves were, you know, tracking them all the time. So they didn't graze just the willows on the bank of the streams. They, um, they, they took a bite here and a, t and a bite there. They were constantly on the move. The willows came back, the beavers came back, the ducks came back, and so on. So you know, this the is whole like riverbank and whole riverbanks changed course and like you know, uh, like I saw pictures before and after of, of these areas and they looked markedly different and more vibrant um, yeah. when you know nature took its course. I mean, it was so uh, just the stark contrast of what could happen with just this one intervention. And I mean, for us, I guess metaphorically, you know, taking out the wolves. I mean, you could just take amoxicillin for a week. Like you know, there's a lot of things we do to right. really fuck up our ecology. Right. Uh, and then the downstream effect is like you know maybe depression, maybe it's joint pain. Right. right. These, these are the things that we see in clinics every day. Right. That's exactly it. And it's just it's really a useful model. I to me, it's like the most useful model. Um, to think about because if it, it this notion that there's good bacteria and bad bacteria, I see that all the time on the internet. It drives me crazy. There's no, you know, the the deer aren't bad. They're just bad in the wrong population numbers. Right. And again, it's always population ecology because you know nature is not. You know, it, there's no kind of moral. Uh, you know, um, there's no moral stance. Like that's a bad, there's there's definitely right. pathogens, okay, but they're actually probably not that big a number. You, know? you had mentioned that you Compared, used to you know. be paranoid. 
um, getting on, you know, the New York trains and the subway poles and all this kind of crap. And you have a different experience or at least a different interface with the germs or the quote unquote bad bacteria. Uh, now that you've done this work, I'd love to hear that. Exactly. It totally, it's really kind of revelatory to realize that they're all around us and most of them are friendly or just like us anyway. So, um, I used to worry, I used to hold the subway pole with two fingers and you can um, see people all the time in the train. They're wobbling around <laughs> trying to keep their balance without really grasping the pole. And that's kind of, it, you know, it, it's rather silly. I mean, they say that grasping a subway pole is like um, shaking hands with a million New Yorkers, but they're actually, you are, yeah, but they're actually just like you. <laughs> they're pretty much mm -hmm. the same. And you don't have to worry about picking up a little plague bacterium or something because it's a population numbers game. So unless there's a whole lot of plague on that subway pole, it's not going to be a problem for you. Mm. So I don't Well, spe and especially if you're like vibrantly healthy and your own colonies are like, you know, doing really right. well and thriving. Right. right, exactly. I mean, I suppose there's vulnerability. There's a spectrum of vulnerabilities. But let's just say the kind of normally healthy person, you know. Um, so I don't use hand sanitizers, which is really like nuking the problem. Um, I don't want, you know, your skin is covered with bacteria and, and one of the preventative jobs they do is they just take up all the space because one of the rules of ecology, one of the laws of ecology is that life will always fill a habitat. So your skin is covered with commensal bacteria. They're living there, doing their thing. They're not doing, what they're doing for you is making sure that a pathogen can't really get a foothold, no space for them. But when you use those hand sanitizers, okay, maybe you're killing like one little spare plague bacterium, but you're also killing all of these critters that are key to you, protecting you from, you know, actual pathogens in your environment. And then I have other things I do. If something falls on the floor, I gulp it right down, even if it's in a restaurant. I don't care. I'm not worried about that. Um, I don't travel after a colonoscopy. I make a point of that because, you know, a colonoscopy, you clear out your, um, all the microbes in your, in your colon and they, and it's an empty neighborhood and mm -hmm. it will be recolonized with, by the foods you eat and the environment you live in, most likely with your natural symbionts. But if you go kayaking in the Amazon the next day, you know, it's, you, you could be potentially colonized right. by someone who you don't have an evolutionary relationship with. Right. Or what's even like one of the grosser things that I learned is, you know, most people get inoculated through the seats that they sit on um, because there's more of like a, for lack of a better term, ass cloud of bacteria around everything. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, if you have a colonoscopy and you go sit on an airplane, you know, chair or an airport with thousands of people have sat, then, you know, you're the sum total of those thousand people's kind of colonies. And so, you know, you gotta be careful again, that's only if you've just wiped out your, your, your on the other hand, I mean, there's a, you know, the, we got to make sure that the sort of paranoid piece takes, right. it's taken out because most of the bacteria that you are shedding right now is this, you know, from your skin and your hair and your, all your orifices is pretty much the same as the, bacteria that I'm shedding right now. Mm. Mm. You know, so it's not that different. You know, we're individually, we have individually unique microbial clouds, which maybe have, you know, which are, is a very interesting subject in and of itself. 
uh, but as a species, we have a kind of baseline. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's also another metaphor for life, right? Because we're not that different. That's we're right. not that different. And that goes to show that this ecology of humanity and judging the other and all that, it just, it's, it's really uncool um, to think that, you know, the, the guy down the street is dirty and filthy compared to you. And we're all pretty much the same animal. Yeah. Um, and, and it really does come down again to, you know, it's not who's taking the more expensive probiotics and all that kind of crap, which is, you know, I think the supplement companies are happy to jump on that crap. Uh, you're a cookbook, cookbook writer um, mm-hmm. and you've done a lot of that. What has happened to your diet now that you know what you know? Well, I um, am, you know, it was interesting. I, I have a pretty, I always thought I had a pretty great diet. Um because I make all my own food. I don't eat very many processed foods. Um, and likewise, my dad, who's 91, and he makes his, he grows his own vegetables, and he makes his own wine. He's a real Italian guy. He's like tough as an old baseball mitt. But we <laughs> had our stool sample to take a look at what our you know, what was in our, our um, colon at the time, what microbes were in our colon at the time. And we were, you know, we were both kind of, a little bit, you know, disappointed that our microbiomes were much like what you'd expect. I don't know the prime minister of France's microbiome to look like. I mean, just really heavy on the um, microbes that break down carbs and the microbes that break down fats. And that was a really eye-opening for me because a a good, you know, a a, a Western diet is heavy on uh, carbs and fats. It just is. I mean, we eat a lot of, you know, unless you're a vegetarian, most people eat a lot of meat and fish. So, um, but the fiber fermenters that line your colon wall and that produce all of these important, um, that help produce important um, hormones, for example, like serotonin, um, they eat fiber. So my, so now I'm realizing that the whole meat, and fish thing, I love it, and I can afford it. Um, I live in a great city for it. I know how to cook it, but I am eating minuscule amounts, and I'm and I'm just. It's all about the fiber, you know. Dan Barber wrote this book, The Third Plate, and he was saying, well, "This is what we should be doing in restaurants, you know, saucing vegetables with meat, and <laughs> where the meat is just a flavor, but it's all <laughs> about the vegetables." Mm-hmm. You know, had he gone down this wormhole, he would have found that the same, you know, he was coming from an, an, a, a, a kind of sustainability point of view, but it's true of the sustainability of your gut too. I actually find that it's remarkably poetic, right? That all of these roads are leading to the same type of, of understanding, which is, you know, what's good for the planet is good for the individual. Right. Um, and, you know, it's kind of the old Hermes Trimiscus as above, so below. Um, and everywhere you look, you end up with um, some wisdom about this, which is, you know what? The nature inside of you is a reflection of the nature outside and vice versa. And we have, you know, it's, it's big, it's big. It's like, it's really heavy. It's like, you know, it's like this very kind of profound return to native American wisdom almost. And, you know, the best labs, I mean, look, I'm booked to be in Harvard, Stanford, NYU, I mean, all the top research institutions of the country over the next few months uh, doing this uh, film that we're doing on the subject. And they're all on this and they're all, this is the most exciting thing medical science has found 
in such a long time. It's, it's unbelievable. Like I have all these like giddy right. doctors that we talk to and doctors are usually bored and gruff and just super, you know, annoyed that the shit that they've been doing has been mediocre, right? They're really excited about this stuff. Now, this is the age, this is an age of discovery and the unseen world is the new world. They know it and more and more people are waking up to it. It's very exciting. But on a personal like day-to-day level, I like to think of, um, there's this environmental scholar, Joanna Macy. She calls it the greening of the self. I love that. <laughs> the greening of the self. Well, your book is called Microbia and uh, it's excellent. I've gotten into it. I haven't finished it yet, um, but mine, uh, uh, two weeks I have allocated to sitting down reading about four or five books on the subject and yours is on top of that list to finish. Um, and uh, you've been, uh, you know, I, I know how much work this is. I mean, it's a big subject and you don't want to get it wrong. And so coming from food and literature and then going to microbiology yeah. and this, uh, you've had a hell of a ride. So yeah. I Really, um, well, you know, I you. wrote it because I, I, I just wanted to, I mean, one of the things I wanted to do was just show that learning about this stuff is doable. You know, there's, it's not impossible to know. Um, and that's, that's why part of the structure of the book is about going back to school. Hmm. You know, I want to hmm. share the doability of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people get intimidated by medical science and that is, um, that's not necessarily serving themselves or their family. Um, and you made it really approachable. So I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's, it's almost, it's a journey into this thing. Yeah, totally. You and me together. That's it, sister. It is such a fascinating subject. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, look away once you are, you know, kind of hooked in on what's happening here. That is so true. Can I read you a quote that's hanging over my desk right now? Yeah, please. Arthur Miller. He said, the apple cannot be stuck back on the tree of knowledge. Once we begin to see, we are doomed and challenged to seek the strength to see more, not less. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, we are, this is the rabbit hole um, and we're about to just go further and further down it. And so, yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing. I think I'm going to be meeting you in person at some time soon. Yeah, I'm looking Um, forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And so, and the book is out, coming out um, for public consumption. Yeah, it came out uh, in April. So it's Oh, great, great. Yeah, it's hard for me to tell. I always get all these advanced copies. I'm like, let's just put it on this Yep. Yep. Okay. The book is out. It's called Microbia. Excellent read. Eugenia Bone. Thank you so much for your time. And um, uh, Urban Monks, uh, educate yourselves, empower yourselves. This is all about you understanding what's going on, not being told what's up, but going and looking for it, finding it and living your life mindfully and intently. I'll see you in the next, uh, next show. 